Hey, everybody. Um, I miss seeing everyone. Uh, there's just a certain energy that comes uh, when we gather here together, when we have the classes before, beforehand, everybody's kind of starting to pile in, kids running around. And it's just a different dynamic. Um, I'm, I'm looking out at uh, empty chairs and miss you all. Uh, miss seeing y'all, miss seeing you all here. And uh, I trust you all are doing well, staying healthy, uh, staying home. And uh, I very much am looking forward to the time we can all be back together again here. So I uh, want to start off sharing a, a story about a guy named Dan Harris. Uh, he was a um, ABC correspondent. Uh, he would sometimes appear on Good Morning America. And there was one morning that, uh, that he was uh, speaking on Good Morning America that would, that would really change his life in a lot of ways. W- what happened to him that morning was he was doing a segment for Good Morning America, and in the middle of the segment, he had a panic attack. And, uh, and he, 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 he just about froze, not completely, but you can tell if you see the video how this went down. And he went on to say this. He said, I just lost it. My heart started racing. My lungs seized up. My palms were sweating. My mouth dried up and I couldn't breathe. And so this was a defining moment for him because he, he, this was kind of a wake-up call for him too. Uh, and he went on to write a book about it, became a number one New York Times bestseller. And so this was, this was a, an, an intense time for him. And, and so here's the thing, that, that anxiety that he experienced, and, and some of you might have had a panic attack before. Uh, I'd imagine all of us have had some degree of anxiety that we've struggled with, how, however heightened it might be. Uh, but we've all experienced anxiety on, on some, some degree, it's some kind of spectrum, right? There's, there's, a, there's a kind of minor sense of anxiety. Maybe you uh, can't, get in touch with the, can't get in touch with a spouse or a child or a parent, uh, and you're worried about them. Uh, and then there's kind of this heightened anxiety that this guy, Dan Harris, went, went through that is, that is somewhat paralyzing. Uh, and, and probably most of the times we're, we're somewhere in the middle uh, you know, uh, sometimes it might be more extreme than others. People might have a fear of flying or certain uh, phobias they might have that can kind of induce anxiety. Uh, some are really bizarre, like a, you know, kind of a fear of crossing bridges or something like that. Um, but, but most of us are going to wrestle with anxiety, at, at least to, to some degree. And so what I want us to consider today is how we as Christians should respond to anxiety. Uh, It's something that we're all going to have to wrestle with. For some of us, it's going to be a big monster that we have to fight. For some of us, others of us, it might just be an annoying fly that just kind of tends to irritate us. But either way, as Christians, as people who are following Christ, we're going to have to figure out how to respond, how to think about anxiety. Now, one question that often comes up when we're considering anxiety in Christians uh, can be medication. Is it okay for Christians to take medication to deal with anxiety. After all, we have the Holy Spirit, we have access to God, and, and, and should, should we be able to, uh, to find peace without taking medication? Um, uh, a, a Christian counselor, Ed Welch, who I really appreciate, was, was asked about this at a pastor's conference, and, and he was asked this. He said, what do you do about medication? As a pastor, what do you do about someone who is taking medication? And, and here's what he said. Here's what this Ed Welch, the Christian counselor, said. In response to, is it okay, or what do you need to do to a Christian who's taking medication for anxiety? He said this, his response, I don't do anything other than help them walk through it. He, he went on to say that, that if, if a Christian is taking medication for anxiety, what they're saying is like, look, something is hurting, and I want to be better. 
And so there's a sense where uh, it's not something to address. And that's not even what I want to address today. So if we can just even put that to to the side, uh, what I want to do today is just to consider a, a biblical perspective of how we should approach anxiety. And, and while medicine can be helpful towards that end, it, it's, it's not necessarily the, the, the full end. It, it's not the full fix. And there's no promise that medicine can deliver us the peace of God. And as Christians, that's what we should be aiming for is, is the peace of God. And so, so what I want to do is, is I want to consider today, how do we access the peace of God? And in doing that, we need to consider its enemy, which is anxiety. And so, so how should we think about anxiety, especially in light of this global pandemic, which is affecting us in all different ways, whether your health is threatened, your, your work, or, or whatever it is that's being threatened now, or it might be something that's kind of outside the grid of the pandemic, but it might be something in the future that you'll be threatened with or, or anxious about, but, but how should we think and address and respond to anxiety. And so today, as we consider anxiety, I want us to do so in light of Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. I'll read it. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And here it is. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So two questions I want to ask today. One, what is a biblical view of anxiety? And two, what is a biblical response to anxiety? So first, what is a biblical view of anxiety? In, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about anxiety. Actually, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we have the famous verse, to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Uh, many of you are familiar with that. Well, well that's in a passage where, where Jesus bookends his, his, his message there with, with two commands. And it's the same command, but it said twice, do not be anxious at the beginning and do not be anxious at the end. And then later in Luke chapter 12, he has the same message, do not be anxious. And then obviously in Philippians 4, what we just read, Paul said, do not be anxious about anything. About anything. That, that's a big category. A, a lot goes underneath the umbrella of anything, right? And so anyway, as we consider what, what Jesus and Paul, what the scriptures teach about anxiety, the question comes up is this, is anxiety a sin? I think from looking at what the scriptures say in Matthew 6, Luke 12, Philippians 4, that I think we should say, yes, it is a sin. Now, I want to leave some room for uh, something that could be a a medical condition where where, uh, it it comes on by some kind of uh, issue with the body, or there could be trauma-induced or something like that. And so I want to leave room for there could be special conditions where I don't want to be so black and white with it. But in a general sense, I think we should consider anxiety to be a sin. So that's a little bit hard to hear. And, and, and one of the reasons that it's hard to hear is this, is that anxiety isn't something you decide to go out and do. You know, it's not like a, like if a, like a young kid going out behind a building to smoke a cigarette, trying to get away with something. You know, nobody's sneaking off to go be anxious somewhere. 
Like with, with anxiety, it's an uninvited guest. You don't want it to be there. You don't enjoy anxiety. And so how can something that you don't want to do, how can something that is an uninvited guest, something that haunts you, how could that be a sin? Well, I think there's two reasons I can give that it's that the, for, for the reason for it being a sin. Number one is the scriptures clearly teach, do not be anxious. So we just got to deal with that, right? And then the second thing is that it's a failure to believe that God actually cares for you. So, so the first reason it's a sin is because the scriptures say, do not be anxious. And the second reason it's a failure to believe that God cares for you. First Peter 5, 7, cast your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Now, an objection to this might be this idea that, you know, sometimes you might get frustrated and I get frustrated with, with maybe some Christians or people who seem to have their head in the sand and they deny reality and they, they tend to say, hey, everything's going to be okay. We're just going to be fine and bad things aren't going to happen. Like you're not going to get the coronavirus. You're okay. That's not going to happen to you. You just got to trust God. Well, that would probably be annoying to many of you and it'd be annoying to me. And I think it's just wrong. I think if anybody were to tell you, hey, you won't get sick or this bad thing won't happen, I, and you need to trust God instead, I, I don't think that adds up. I just don't think we can do that. So there's a sense where being, not being anxious doesn't mean that you de- deny the reality that bad things in the future might happen. It doesn't mean that. Like, for example, I am going to die one day. I don't know when that day will be. I, I, I don't know if it'll be quick or slow or, or what will happen, but I know it will happen. And at the same time, I should not be anxious about that happening. And, and my, my lack of anxiety, the, the reason I shouldn't be anxious isn't because it won't happen, because it surely will happen, but I should not be anxious about that happening. Trusting God doesn't mean that you believe him for bad things not to happen to you. It's instead trusting in God's care for you in the midst of the bad things that will inevitably happen to you. You know, in the last couple of weeks, I've sent out a few emails as we've been going through this pandemic. And, and one of the things that I've included on uh, at least two emails uh, is the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism. The first question is this, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? And here's the answer that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. So what is our only hope in life and death, only comfort in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. That nothing can happen to us that is outside the permission of our Father in heaven. And so what is a biblical view of anxiety? We should see anxiety as, a, as an enemy, as something that is out to steal our joy. And ultimately, we should see it as a sin to resist and repent from. And, and secondly, we need to hope in God's care for us. Now, that's different from hoping in the problem going away. 
Because what I'm saying here is not that we should hope in problems going away or we should try to fix problems that I'm sure problems will arise that we'll have to try to address. But there's a sense where we don't hope in the removal of problems, but we hope in our God who cares for us. So anxiety is an enemy out to steal our joy and we want to fight against it. And so how do we fight against it? What is a biblical response to anxiety? My second point. Let's go back again to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how do we access the peace of God? Paul's talking about here the peace of God, and he's saying that it's accessible. And so how do we access the peace of God. And it's two things. If you look at the text, there's two things that we can do to access, access this, this peace of God. And it's this, prayer and giving thanks. Prayer and giving thanks. Anxiety tends to flood the mind with all the things that we don't have. And, and, and where we are lacking Maybe it's in finances, maybe it's in relationships, uh, maybe it's some kind of tension happening at work or at home or, or, or wherever it might be. There's a lack and it can be anxiety inducing because you're aware of it and you almost can't stop thinking about. It. In fact, it might be all you can find yourself to actually think about. But giving thanks combats anxiety like antibiotics combat bacteria. And so it's a replacing the anxious thoughts of what we don't have with thankful thoughts of what God has given us by his grace. Uh, not too long ago, well, it was a few years ago, I guess, uh, Missy and I were, were uh, driving somewhere together, had the whole family in the van, and it was about a two-hour road trip. And it, it was one of those trips, some of you have probably been here before, where uh, it started bad uh, and then got worse. And basically, me and Missy were in an argument. And, uh, and it was one of those that wasn't getting resolved. And as time was going on, I, I was getting more mad at her and she was getting more mad at, at me. And, uh, and one thing I forgot, when we got on the road, I, I knew we were, we were a bit low on gas. And so as we're driving into where we're going, we're about two miles from where we were gonna, going to go, uh, we're going down a hill and I, I feel the van do something that I've unfortunately felt it do before. And it's, it's we're out of gas. And I, I know what it means. Like, like once it goes out, I remember I was supposed to get gas. I didn't get gas. And, and so it, it, it hits me immediately. Missy knows too. So it's, it's just, here we are, we're out of gas. But we were going down a hill. And as we were going down that hill, there happened to be a gas station on our side and so I coasted down the hill and turned into the first gas pump. Couldn't have made it to the second gas pump. And you know what we did when we, when we got there to that, that gas pump? We laughed. Because it was, we were so fortunate that we ran out of gas exactly where we did. I mean, if it was a mile before, we would have been in big trouble. Anywhere in this trip, it would have been a really big problem. But we ran out literally in the most perfect place at the most perfect time. And there's just this sense where the little squabble we might have been having was really overshadowed with this big show, this big sign of grace that we were not stranded on the road, but in fact, we were able to get gas and we weren't in the middle of, a, of the highway on a hot summer Mississippi after, afternoon. 
And so there is that sense where after we left the gas station, it just softened the mood. Uh, and we were able to, to kind of reconcile and get things better. And, and there's just that sense where we were relieved that there was a really big problem that we didn't have to worry about. And look, there, there's a sense where, where the gospel should operate like that on, on us. And if you think about what happens with the gospel, the, the idea that, that our, our biggest problem uh, isn't this pandemic or isn't our finances or isn't, you know, a family dynamic or, or, or anything like that. Our, our biggest problem is our sin before a holy God. And, and, and there's no problem that can last longer than that problem if it's not reconciled. And what the gospel is, is that Jesus lived a life that we could not live. He took our punishment. And so for those who would believe, repent, and turn to him, uh, his perfect record is given to us. Our sinful record is put on him at the cross. We're reconciled to God, and our hope of an eternal future is secure with Christ. And so that is good news, and that overshadows any bad news. And so there's a sense for those of us who get the gospel that there's much that we can always be thankful for, no matter the circumstance. And the objection you might have is just like, well, look, right now, maybe even with the pandemic, you're in a tight spot and you're going to lose your job or you're having to do things that you never thought you'd have to do. And maybe the bank account's low. And there's a sense where you might think, well, Kevin, it's not like believing the gospel is going to put money in my bank account to pay these bills or to do this, what I need to do. And I understand that because it's not. Like believing the gospel doesn't put money in your account to be able to pay these bills you got to pay that you don't know how you're going to pay. What I'm saying about how the gospel influences those problems or that anxiety-inducing problem is that it just puts it into perspective. Is that, yeah, this is a real problem, and, and, and I don't know how you might get out of that mess, but there's a sense it puts it in perspective with a bigger problem. And so similar to when I, when I pulled into that gas station, I didn't complain about the gas price or I didn't complain about the, the cleanliness of the gas station. I was just glad we got saved. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was glad we weren't stranded on the side of the road somewhere, me wondering how we're going to get gas and get home. And so, so anyway, if I would have been disappointed in the gas price or whatever, then I, I just lost perspective about, actually, I'm very fortunate to be in the situation I am at the gas station. And the gospel should, 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 should color everything like that for us, even though no matter what be, might be going on, there's a sense that there's no bigger problem we have than our sin in a holy God and what that means for us in, in, for eternal consequences. And through the work of Christ, that problem has been solved. Our hope is secure. And so the gospel should color the way we view all things and all of our problems and should put those problems into perspective. Like, for example, let's say um, beginning today for the next, for, for the rest of the year, for, for, for 365 days, 364 of those days were going to be really good. But there was going to be one bad one. And it wasn't going to be devastatingly bad, just a, just a really bad day. Things were not going to go your way on that day. And let's say you knew that day was coming like, let's say, four months from now. And you know every other day is going to be good except for that one day. And then that day comes, there's a sense where you wouldn't be overwhelmed by that bad day because you, you would know, oh, well, this is the day. This is the day things go poorly, and it's only one out of 365. So this one day is bad, 364 days will be good. Th that's how we need to view the, the, the gospel and its impact on us because the gospel reconciles us for e eternity. 
it's, it's, not, it's not something that delivers just a bunch of good days. It, it, it's something that delivers eternity in heaven in a redeemed new heaven and earth. And so there's a sense if you got overwhelmed and undone with that one bad day, then you've just lost perspective. And so the, the way the gospel helps us to fight that is that it just helps us to put these problems that are real, that have significant consequences. It just puts them into perspective. Because even this analogy of one day in 365 is really overstating our, our life on this side of eternity, right? Because when we think about eternity, we're not talking about 80 years or 100 or 1,000 or a million or 10 million. It's eternity. And so even if you were to, to have, a, have a thread that went from uh, Miami, Florida, and you stretched this little string, this thread, all the way to Seattle, Washington, and I took a pen, and I put a little dot on that thread— then that little dot would still vastly overstate your, your life on this side of eternity. In James 4, we read that our life is a, is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And that's why Paul, if all the suffering he went through in his life, and Paul went through some serious, serious affliction, he said, this is momentary. This is a momentary affliction. And so understanding the gospel in light of eternity, it doesn't make the problems go away. It just puts them into perspective, and it can even make us thankful in the midst of these trials or suffering, whatever it is we might be going through that can be anxiety-inducing. So we fight against anxiety by giving thanks, the big things with the gospel, but just in, in the little comforts that we might have to and the ways God might be kind and show his grace. And I'll tell you what, it is a discipline to be thankful because our default settings is to notice what we don't have and what's not going right. And so you have to be actively thinking about and making an effort to be thankful rather than noticing what you don't have because your default settings are towards what you don't have. Now, the second way that we fight against anxiety, the first is that we give thanks. The second way we fight against anxiety is that we make our requests known to God. In James 4, 2, we read that we have not because we ask not. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. So here's the thing with prayer. I'm assuming most of us are probably a bit cynical with prayer. And that's probably kind of um, uh, hurt our um, uh, prayer life. We might not pray as much because we don't expect much. But when you read the New Testament, what we read about prayer, our expectation would be that God stands ready to give what we ask. That should be our clear expectation. And there is a sense where I should be able to come to you or you come to me and say, what have you been praying about? And has God answered that or not answered that with a yes or with a no? And look, even right now, if I were to say, has God answered your prayers in the last week or last month? I would imagine many of you wouldn't be able to say yes or no. You just think, I, I haven't really prayed for much, all that specifically. Well, there's a sense that, that that needs to change. If you struggle with anxiety and you can't tell me what prayers you are waiting on God to answer, or what prayers he has not answered, then there's a sense you're not applying the medicine for your soul that will fight against anxiety like God has given us. So our expectation should be that God stands ready to give what we are asking of him. But, the, but there's good news even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't, that's good news. And, and, and here's why. Tim Keller tells a story uh, in his book, uh, Walking with God in Pain and Suffering, uh, about when he was in his 20s. And he was pursuing this girl. He was dating this girl. And he moved so that uh, they, they could be together. And he was praying that she would not break up with him. 
And after he moved, some time went by, and she did, in fact, break up with him. Now, over time, uh, he met his wife, and uh, they married and raised a family together. And he obviously looks back now, and he thinks he's so glad that that, that, girl, did not, that, that, that girl did break up with him, and that he married his wife, had his family, and all that. And there's just this sense where he looks back, and he thinks, that was good. That, that she broke up with me because that opened up something else. And, and, and Tim Keller wrote something about God, the way that God's uh, perspective in withholding um, um, his, his answers to our requests. And he said this, so Tim Keller wrote this as if he's writing from God's perspective. And he said this, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything that I know. And so every prayer request that you've given God that's come back denied, if you knew what God knew, you would have denied that request too. And so that's why even, even our prayer requests that are denied are good news. And that's why they can give us peace because we know that God loves us. We know that he cares for us and that he'll give us what's good and he'll withhold what is not good. So whether he gives or whether he withholds, he is kind, he is good, and he cares. And that's what we need to know and hope in. So in summary, anxiety, generally speaking, is a sin to resist and to repent from. And the way we fight against anxiety is by giving thanks and by making our requests known to God. And remember, no matter what you are going through, if it's a global pandemic that's affecting you, or it's something else totally unrelated to the, the pandemic, whatever it might be, no matter what, the peace of God is always accessible to you. Say it again. The peace of God is always accessible to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you help us to know and believe in your care for us? Would you help us to resist and repent from anxiety? Would you help us to see your abundant grace in our life and give thanks for it and give us the discipline to do so and to be aware of our default setting to complain and notice what we do not have? And would you help us to make our requests known to you and that we would be watchful and waiting, giving thanks when you give us our requests and when you deny. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.